Great. Well, thank you, Mary, and uh, thank you, O2, for, for leading us so well. Thank you, Pete, for your notices from the toilet. Uh, and thank you, Mary, for sharing a bit of your story. It's so exciting that we are reaching new people and it, we love that you're, uh, you're joining us. Um, if you're a new person who's maybe tuning in for the first time today, my name is Malk. I am the assistant pastor here at Trinity Church, and we are still in our series in Ephesians. Uh, this series has been called Ephesians, Our Story. And week by week over these last five or six weeks, we've been seeing how the gospel, that is the, the message of the good news of Jesus, how that must be continually, uh, radically shaping our stories. We've been hearing week by week, again and again, the invitation of Jesus to, to join him, to, to join him in the life that he offers offers us that his story can be our story and so that means for us as believers as christians that we now have a better story to tell a, a story that isn't about us that is about jesus and so if you're not a christian who's someone who's tuning in today uh we we genuinely love that you're here uh, that is one of our sole purposes we want to reach new people with this good news and if you're not a christian it means that the Bible says there is a better story for you as well, a story that will be no longer about us, but about him, a story which uh, isn't about our failings, and our weaknesses, but about his victory. It's not about what we do, but about what Jesus has done. We can have a better story to tell. That's the series. That's what we've been focusing in on each week. And this week we're carrying on with that. We're looking at uh, the title is going to come up on the screen. The title today is Telling the Story and the focus is on light. So here we've got to a point in the book of Ephesians where Paul, who wrote this letter, this book, he is now bringing our attention to the fact that the gospel story is a story of light. It shines into the darkness and it reveals the truth to us. My real hope today as we as we go through this is that we as believers, as Christians, will be amazed again at how good it is to know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, my hope is that today you will see something of the glory of, of how good it is to know Jesus. But before we get into this passage, there's a really helpful picture that um, we need to get into our heads today. And it's a picture from the Bible. Some of you are gonna be familiar with this because you've read this story before. It's a story where Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, it doesn't matter if you don't know what that is. Essentially, this is a, a huge celebration that's going on in Jerusalem. Uh, the streets are full of dancing, they're full of singing, they're full of people drinking and eating good food. There's live music, the streets, of Jerusalem are busy. It's basically a little bit like what I imagine our streets going to be like when we finally get that good news saying that lockdown is lifted and we can we can go out to the streets again. People are going to celebrate, right? And right in the middle of all of that celebrating and that partying in Jerusalem, Jesus is right there. He's there actually the Bible says he's standing in the the temple yard right there in the center of the city and he's standing underneath these four huge golden lamps now get this picture in your head each of these lamps are over 20 meters high 
At the top of each lab, there are four huge cups. Each one can hold around eight liters of oil. And as the rope comes out and they light these, these lamps, they just they burn bright. There are uh, records in history that say these lamps would burn so bright that they would light the whole night sky above Jerusalem and the light would almost seep out and fill the streets of the city. And it is here in this context that Jesus steps forward, he opens his mouth and he makes this world shaping, life changing declaration about himself. And he says, I am the light of the world. This is amazing when we when we understand what's going on here, because as those lamps were lit, what were the people celebrating? Well, the whole thing, they're celebrating the fact that a big part of their story is the fact that God has saved them in the past from being slaves in Egypt. Lots of us will be familiar with that story. The story of the Exodus, where God brings his people out of slavery and then he leads them across the wilderness, doesn't he? He says by day he led them by uh, with a, a pillar of cloud. But at night, how did he lead them? Well, it was with a pillar of fire, a pillar of light this light that guided them, that protected them, that showed the people the way to freedom. And it's under that, those lamps that symbolize all of that, that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. How cool is that? Remember that, that great light. This is what Jesus is saying. Say, remember that great light that saved you, that led you through the darkness, that reminded you of God's presence and God's protection. I am that light. I am that God. And now I am here with you. John 8, 12 will come up on the screen. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Get that picture in your head, because now as we turn to today's passage, as we turn to Ephesians 5, it's important and vital that we grab something of what Jesus is saying about himself there. Because if we don't, I, I don't think we're going to feel the weight of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. Verse 8, look at it with me. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. It's one of those scriptures that maybe it's fairly easy to just whiz past it as we read. But it's so important that we don't read this and hear this with 21st century eyes and ears. Because for us, like, this isn't that unusual language, is it? To describe someone as light can kind of sound romantic. We see it in pop music and songs all the time. You are my light. You are my guiding star. Um, or maybe you like me, I have friends on Instagram and Facebook when it's someone's birthday, they put up a picture of that person with lovely status about them. And they might say something like, you are a light in this world or you have a heart of light. It's really well-meaning. It's really kind and complimentary. But the Bible would disagree, actually. The Bible would say, well, no, we we are incapable of producing light. The, the Bible says that outside of Jesus, outside of knowing Jesus, 
We're all lost in the dark. That's what last week's passage was all about. There's no light. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 15, he says that from our hearts comes darkness in and of ourselves, no matter how hard we try, none of us can be light in the way that Jesus is light. So what does verse eight mean then? Well, I think it in part means this, and this is our first big point. And I really hope that this point uh, really sticks with you this week, because it's a bit of a strange point, as you're going to see. Here is Trinity Church. We are moon people. Okay, write that one down in your journal. Right. We are moon people. Okay, let me unpack that. In the same way that the moon reflects the light of the sun, so God has chosen to use us, to use his people, his church, to reflect the glory and the light of his son, the Lord Jesus. The church must be shining in the darkness, but it is not ultimately our light that shines, but Christ's light. We are reflectors of this great light. We are moon people. Now, now, obviously, this is just an illustration, and this is an illustration from my own mind. So it certainly only goes so far because we are not just reflecting Christ's light. The text actually says imperfect people like me, imperfect people like you, people who have lived in the darkness for a long time, but those people who have now put faith in Jesus, the text is saying we actually become light. We're not just reflectors, we become light. Our union with Christ is so real, is so true. His light burns so brightly inside the life of each individual believer that we're not just a mirror. His light actually shines from us. We are light. Now, this is one of those those gospel truths that you can imagine on a nice Bible journal or on a mug somewhere. And it's it's easy to kind of get the general concept of it, maybe even understand the theology and the weight behind it. Go, oh, yeah, I, I understand that. But it kind of stops there. It doesn't really make any difference to the way we live our lives. But that's why Ephesians five, our passage today is so helpful because Paul goes on to spell out in detail, in really practical detail, what it means, verse eight, to live as children of light. If you know Jesus and you're someone who wants to truly, genuinely shine the light of Jesus in this world and verse one, follow God's example and verse two, walk in the way of love. If that is your heart's desire, Paul first is showing us how we should not live. This is what I'm calling the dark side of the moon. And uh, this isn't a Mulan reference or, uh, or anything else. This is the dark side of the moon, the side which isn't facing the sun, the, the side of the moon which isn't currently reflecting light. This is the dark side of the moon, verses three to six. Um, if you're a Christian and you want to live in the light and in the truth of Jesus, if you want to reflect his light, here's a big list of things not to do. Number one, it should be coming up on the screen. Um, verse three, Paul says, not even a hint 
of sexual immorality or impurity or greed should be in the life of someone who is living in the light. Here's the thing. We all just failed, right? For some of us, probably our hearts just sank because we all know far too well what it's like to live in this world, to live in darkness and to live in the darkness of impurity to one degree or another. We all know what that's like. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. You could be my Nana and this truth still applies to you. We still know what it's like to feel shame in this area. And the reason I can say that with such confidence, no matter who you are listening today, isn't because of what I think. It doesn't really matter what I think, right? It's because of how God's word, how the Bible defines sexual impurity. Because what the Bible says is radically different to what the world says. And the Bible actually is radically different to what we feel half the time. Even as Christians, is different to what we feel. How does Jesus define sexual impurity? He says this, whoever has looked at a person, whoever has looked at a person lustfully has committed adultery in their heart. Before anything physical, before any website is typed in, before anything, it's just with our eyes alone. Jesus is saying when that lustful look goes from a look and it goes to our goes to our mind and we dwell on it it's as though jesus says it, it sinks into our heart as adultery that's what verse three means here by greed it could also be translated as covetousness it's a a greed for someone else's body it's having a view of another person which completely dismisses the fact that that person is an image bearer of god it, it looks past the reality of who they are, that they are made to reflect the glory of God. It's, it's looking past all that and it's having a mindset which is purely self-gratifying. It's about me. It's about my feelings. It's about my pleasure. It's about my desires. And I think that Paul has this at the top of his list of things not to do because it is so, so easy to keep sexual impurity like this in the dark, hidden away as a secret. You know, from watching porn behind closed doors to the thoughts that go through your head when you see someone walking down the street to even the marriage bed, what is going through your mind. These are things that are easy to hide from one another. Brother or sister, if that is you, then you are not truly living in the light right now. You need to move from living on the dark side of the moon in the darkness to come into the side where the sun shines brightest. We need to move from the self-serving mindset to the self-sacrificial. How do we do that? It's right here in verses one and two. Paul says, follow God's example and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our affections, our desires, they need to be rewired by the light of the gospel. It's as though as that light shines, we need to see in vivid colour the better story that Jesus has for each of us. 
He is the one who, what? Verse two, gave himself up for us. Brother or sister, you will never overcome secret sexual sin, which is hidden away in the dark by just digging into yourself and trying to turn your sexuality off. No, you need to find ongoing, genuine, deep, everlasting joy in the good news that there is one who loves you so much that he was willing to walk to Calvary to die a criminal's death for you. Jesus gave up his life as a fragrant offering, is how Paul puts it, a, a pleasing offering to his father. And so now, as those who were once in darkness, but now know the light of Jesus in our lives, we get the joy and the privilege of giving up our lives, our desires, by following in the pattern of the cross, and we can please our heavenly father. The gospel rewires even our sexual desires, even those deep rooted secret sins that are hidden in the dark. The gospel rewires us and shapes us so that we can walk out of the dark, so we can walk into the light. Now that's something you're particularly struggling with right now. You, you talk to a Christian brother or sister, talk to me, talk to Pete, talk to Caleb, uh, and we'd love to help you through those issues that you might be struggling with. That's the first thing on Paul's list of things not to do. Secondly, what's he say? Verse four. This is the dark side of the moon. Second thing on the list. Avoid obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking. Here's the thing. Honestly, this is one that I read. And I go, oh, my heart sinks because I love being silly. I love trying to make people laugh. It, it's the way God has made me. And that's good. You know, Proverbs says that uh, a joyful heart is good medicine. Ecclesiastes say that there is a time to laugh. It's good and right that we are image bearers of God. We laugh. But honestly, I know that feeling all too well at the end of the day when I put my head on the pillow and I reflect on my day and I reflect on that probably genuinely hilarious joke that I made. And I think oh, I shouldn't have said that. I should not have made that joke. Why? Because it's borderline, because it's it wasn't a ho it wasn't holy. It, it, it wasn't the language of light. You know, when we make jokes, make each other laugh in ways which over overstep the boundaries of holiness, we're speaking as though we're still living in the dark, even though our reality is we're not. We're in the light. Our speech doesn't match up with who we are now in Christ. Let me put it this way. When we laugh at sin, we're making light of sin. So when we make crude or stupid, foolish jokes, we're flirting with sin's boundaries. And as we do that, we're potentially desensitizing ourselves to the seriousness of sin and therefore the seriousness of what Jesus has gone through to save us from sin. So. How do we gauge what is good speech? What is good humor and what's sinful? Obviously, there's a wisdom call in all of this, but it's essentially it's by allowing the light of the gospel to illuminate and expose the truth in us, even when it makes us feel uncomfortable. 
you know, for example, if we are filling our heads with nothing but um, Netflix, Amazon Prime movies, idle gossip of talk shows and that kind of thing, if that's all we're doing in our spare time, then that's probably the language that we're going to speak, right? We're going to speak the language of the world. But if we use our time wisely and we are filling our minds with the goodness of God's word, we are making time to, to genuinely meet with Jesus every day, not as a chore, but as a coming to him as a, a friend and savior to meet with him. Not only will we see those foolish things that we say in the day for what they are, actually we will start to speak words of truth more naturally because that's what we're filling our minds with we will speak the language of light so that's the second thing on paul's list and what's the third thing what we, what else should we be avoiding well, it's, it's verse seven do not associate with the disobedient or do not be partners in evil now obviously this doesn't mean that uh, we shouldn't be friends with people who do not yet know Jesus and therefore are living in disobedience to him. That's not what this verse is saying. It's not saying you shouldn't be hanging out with Christian, uh, non-Christians. It's not saying that you uh, shouldn't be sharing your life, having fun, uh, being involved with people who, are, who don't yet trust Jesus. As Christians, we follow Christ. And who is Jesus? He is the friend of sinners. Praise God. Because if he wasn't, none of us would be able to know him. I know for a fact, some of you who are listening today, your own stories begin with a non, uh, sorry, with a Christian friend speaking to you about Jesus. So, of course, we should be out there speaking to, hanging out with uh, our non-believing friends. That is the heartbeat of Trinity Church Manchester. We want to reach the lost with the good news. So it's not saying that. So what is it saying then? Well, the focus on this verse isn't actually on people outside the church. The focus is on those inside the church. Look at verse six with me. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. This is the disobedient people is speaking about. The dis disobedient people speaking empty words, as it says, and they're actually false teachers that Paul is referring to in the time of writing this letter. These teachers had empty but radically dangerous teaching. They were saying things like our bodily sins don't actually affect our souls. So it means that we can say whatever you want. It doesn't it doesn't matter. You can have sex with whoever you want. It doesn't make a difference because actually in the end, God is just too, too kind to condemn any of you of any sin. This is essentially something called universalism. The idea that all people everywhere will all go to heaven, no matter what they've done, no matter whether they recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, no matter whether or not they have repented of sin, we all end up in heaven together. The reality is this teaching is empty. It completely, completely diminishes and cheapens the cross of Christ as though sin was never an issue, as though it's no big deal that Jesus, the son of God, gave up his life for us. The reality is false teaching like this still exists today. And false teaching like this is from the dark side of the moon. It's from the shadows. It's from the darkness. And it 
the worst thing about that is it keeps people there. Those who believe that message, they stay in darkness. And Paul is saying Christians have nothing to do with that teaching. In fact, all of the things on the don't list, they could all be summed up with verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. So Paul is saying, flee sexual immorality and impurity. Control your tongue and what comes out of your mouth. Don't partner uh, with disobedience. And it's worth mentioning as well, verse 18, he says, do not get drunk on wine or whiskey or beer or gin or spirits of any sort. You know, don't get drunk which causes us to lose control. When you're drunk, what do you end up doing? You don't flee sexual immorality for sure. If anything, you are running full steam ahead. Uh, it loosens your tongue, you lose control. So Paul is saying, verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Trinity Church, here's what, here's what you need to hear today. Not only has the light of Jesus led us out of the darkness of sin. He has so transformed his people, people who put faith in him from darkness into light that he now wants to use us to reflect something of his glory, to expose and bring and shine the truth to the world. We are moon people, or to put it, in Jesus's words, Matthew 5, 16, he says, let your light shine before others. Should come up on the screen. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Trinity Church, don't miss this. God, the almighty king of heaven, the God of light and glory wants to use you to glorify his name today like a, a torch that shines into a dusty dark pitch black room Jesus wants you to shine like that so that means what you say matters what you do matters how you live matters verse 8 you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord live as children of light verse 9 what's he say he says, live lives that are that consist of all goodness, that, that are good and pleasing to God. Live lives that are, are righteous and proclaim the truth of Jesus to a desperate and dark world. And here's our, our next point. We are moon people. But I think the challenge that I want to put out there today is let's go super moon. OK, these are two hopefully sticky, memorable points. Go super moon. Let me unpack that. Earlier this year, uh, some of you might even remember, I don't know. Uh, on the night, the night of April the 8th, we experienced the biggest and brightest supermoon that we're going to see for at least the next five years. So a supermoon is when a full moon uh, coincides with its closest approach to the Earth. So from our perspective, it just looks way bigger and brighter than it would normally. I was on a website called earthsky.org. It's a pretty cool website. And they said, before this moon had arrived, they said, watch for the biggest full moon of 2020 
to shine all night long on the ninth night of April the 8th. This is the type of shining that God is calling his people to be, a light that shines in the darkness all night long. He doesn't want us to be those little crescent moons which only tell half the gospel story and leave the other half shrouded in confusion. He doesn't want us to be like a moon which has got lots of cloud covering in the way, making uh, the gospel, the light of the gospel, hard to grasp, hard to see because the people in that church are maybe living in ways that are contradicting the gospel, that they're just super unwelcoming. No, he wants us to shine like a super moon. He wants us to shine clearly and brightly the truth and the glory of who he is. That's why Paul writes verses 15 and 16. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Christian, here's the thing. You are saved by grace. Uh, you are saved uh, by, by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, right? You are saved by grace, but now you need to put the effort in to live in a way that shows you are saved by grace. If you want the light of Jesus to grow, grow brighter in you, then we need to heed these words. We need to be careful how we live and we need to make the most of every opportunity. You know, we need to consider how we use our time. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he's a super famous old school preacher. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. And I've got a quote from him. Speaking about time, Charles Spurgeon said, serve God by doing common actions in a heavenly spirit. In other words, serve God in your normal day-to-day -day life as you go about your business, as you do your job, as you parent your kids, as you are a good son or daughter or whatever it is, go, go about your day in a heavenly spirit and live in a way that honors God. And then if your daily calling only leaves you cracks and crevices of time, fill them up with holy service. I think the challenge that Spurgeon is putting to us is when we have those gaps in the day, uh, coffee break at work, nap time with the kids, though even it's 10 minutes, how often do we use those little crevices, those little cracks during the day? For, for time to meet with Jesus, to pray and meet with him, to open his word and hear from him. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's such a challenge. But Paul is saying, church, be careful how you live because the days are evil. Satan loves it when we waste our time. Satan loves to try to get Christians to waste their time. Why? Because it means we won't shine as bright. We're preoccupied with things that don't really matter and have no eternal significance. We're not going to shine as bright. Here's the thing in all of this. God wants to help us live carefully. Sometimes with a passage like this, it's just a big list of don't do this and do do this. You think, I can't do that. I don't have this strength. Of course you don't. God wants to help us in all of this. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us to fight this battle on our own. Look at verse 18 with me. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. You know, Paul is drawing on this picture of a person filled with alcohol versus a person filled with the spirit. Not because 
they they look the same actually because they have totally opposite effects so you know somebody who's under the influence of alcohol that leads to a life of a lack of self-control we've already said that a life that runs to sexual morality a life where your your what comes out your mouth isn't controlled paul says here it's a life of debauchery this idea of like animalistic instincts that are just just let loose but a life under the influence of the spirit a life governed by the spirit a, a spirit-filled person that will lead to a life of self-control that is one of the fruits of the spirit self-control and so the fullness of the spirit actually makes us more human uh, running away from the animalistic debauchery category it makes us more human because the spirit makes us more like christ jesus the light of the world and as we are made more and more like jesus as we seek to let his light shine brighter in us what are we doing we've already seen it we are glorifying god and i just love how paul ends this section of ephesians 5 when he says be filled with the spirit what's the first thing that he says what's the first thing that comes to mind straight after that verses 18 to 20 a spirit-filled person is somebody who is singing somebody who is in the world of, of music, declaring praises to God. Look at verse 19. He says, sing over one another, church. Sing over one another psalms and hymns and songs of the spirit. The back half of that verse, he says, individually from your heart, even when you can't sing, maybe you can't sing very well. He say from, from your heart and from your mouths. And verse 20, always give thanks to God. When we sing praises, what's going on? We've just been doing that at O2, uh, was leading us so well. When we sing God's praises, individually and together, we are reorientating ourselves, aren't we? Our focus is moving from us, the, the things of the world, the darkness that surrounds us. We are reorientating ourselves and we are facing the glory. We're looking up with our hands up facing the glory of the son of God, facing Jesus. You know, this is the supermoon effect. We are looking directly at the light. And as we sing those words, as we declare those words with our mouths, we are declaring the truth of the gospel, the light of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Singing has always been a rich, beautiful part of church history. Just think back in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, Paul, who wrote this, this book, where are they? They're in a prison cell for preaching Jesus. And the scripture says it's midnight. It's the dead of night. Darkness surrounds them. And what are they doing? They're singing praises. Right now for us, the world feels kind of dark, right? We're probably feeling a bit isolated, maybe feeling alone. Maybe a little bit like Paul and Silas. We're feeling a bit cooped up. This is what I just want to close with. Trinity Church, darkness never stops light. Darkness never stops light. And right now, as people who know the light of Jesus, 
we have such an opportunity in this time where our friends, our neighbours, our those people on our doorstep, where they are feeling the weight of darkness in their lives in a way that maybe they haven't before, we have the opportunity and the power to shine bright the truth of Jesus through the words that come out of our mouths, through the way that we love each other. We get to declare the truth that Jesus is truly the light of the world. Verse 8, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Let me pray. Yes, Father, thank you so much, Lord God, that you have brought us out of darkness. And Lord, you have made us light. Jesus, please help us to believe that message this week. Help us to be people who are orientated towards you, that our faces are looking towards you, that we would be those who reflect your glory to one another and to a world that is desperate to know you. Father, we thank you that your word is good. Thank you that your word changes lives. And we pray that that would happen today. We ask this in your name. Amen.